They meet the man that is by the gate beautiful. He is healed. And then a crowd begins to gather at the start of chapter number 4. And they're wondering what is going on here. This man who was always sitting by the gate uh, and, 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 and he was always uh, begging. Now all of a sudden this man is healed. Well, remember Peter at the start of chapter number 4, he uses it as an opportunity to preach. I'm going to preach the word of God. If you're going to ask me, if you're going to question what's happening here, I'm going to preach the word of God and I'm going to give testimony to the miracle that Jesus has done in the life of this man. And so Peter begins to preach. Well, the Bible tells us that in, uh, the, in, in, the, mid, in the midst of that preaching, he is interrupted and uh, that crowd gathers around and they begin to question uh, uh, Peter and John. The Bible tells us they throw them into jail. Uh, they're in jail for o- overnight. And then the Bible tells us they have a meeting together with the Sanhedrin, that 71-member Jewish court of law. The Bible tells us they threaten Peter and John and they send them on their way. And then the Bible tells us at, at, the, uh, at about uh, uh, three-quarters through that chapter, the message that we dealt with several weeks ago, <clears throat> it tells us that they come back to their own company and they begin to tell the story to those that are of their own company what has happened, how, they were put, how, the, how the lame man was healed, and how the crowd began to gather by the porch there called Solomon's Porch at the temple there, and then how they had an opportunity to preach. And then as a result of the preaching, we went through a time of persecution. Remember the pattern we're seeing, the power of God, and then the preaching of God's word, and then the persecution that takes place. But then the boldness, again, to preach the word of God, even in the midst of persecution. And they told that great company that they had gathered with, that they had released us. And then the Bible tells us at that passage of scripture we last dealt with several, uh, several Sunday nights ago, that they decided to pray. And as they were praying, they were talking to the Lord, and they asked the Lord for boldness, for courage to do the work of the Lord, and uh, they asked Him for His presence in their life. And the Bible tells us in verse number 31, which is the verse that comes right before where we're going to start tonight, and when they had prayed, by the way, God answers immediately. They prayed, He gives an answer. The place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And then we come to verse number 32. Now at this point in the book of Acts, there's something that we have to be mindful of. There's something we have to remember at this point in the book of Acts. Or even at this point in chapter number 4 of the book of Acts. At this point, there are thousands of believers who are gathered together there in Jerusalem. I mean, consider this. The Bible tells us that on the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 that were saved, and then they were baptized, and then they were added to the church. And then we get a little bit later in the scripture, and we meet that, we, we meet that lame man in chapter 3. And then the lame man is healed, and Peter and John, remember, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're taken away, they're put into jail, but that did not stop the furtherance of the gospel, because remember, 5,000 people got saved then. So you can imagine thousands of people that are now Christians that are gathered there in Jerusalem. And so at the end of chapter 4, where we're going to be tonight, again starting in verse number 32, we're going to see some traits that characterized the Christians of the early church. And tonight as I give you these traits that characterized the early church, would you again in your heart ask yourself as God speaks to us tonight, are these traits that are in my life, are these traits that we can very clearly see is in our church today, Victory Baptist Church, as we desire to pattern our church after the character traits that we see here in the early church. So, 
These are traits that we should strive for today. These are things that we would say, that's a trait that we see in the early church, but something I want to see here at Victory Baptist Church in Boonesboro. I want to see in my family. I want to see in my life as an individual. So let's talk about these character traits. I think we very clearly see them in this passage. First of all, look at verse 32, if you would. Verse number 32, it says this, And the multitude of them that believed, again, picture this now, thousands of individuals gathered there in Jerusalem that had believed, were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Number one, the first trait that I want us to notice at the end of chapter number four here is the trait of unity. The trait of unity. Now, God desires that His people be in unity as we serve the Lord together. Not to be in discord, not to have strife or struggling one amongst the other. The Bible tells us that God desires that there be unity. That's the spirit that we see, the character trait that we see here in those that are part of the early church, the character trait of unity. Now, would you go to a couple verses in the Bible with me to see what the Word of God has to say about unity? Now, we're not going to cover unity at looking at every single verse, but just some highlights here. Look with me, if you would, at Psalm 133. Psalm 133 and once you've found Psalm 133, if you can look at verse number 1. Psalm 133 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now we're serving the Lord together, aren't we? We are striving for the same thing, aren't we? By the way, we're going to get to that in just a moment as well. Think about that word striving. We are striving for the same thing, one with another. Our, our purpose is to see the gospel furthered. We want to see souls saved. We want to see uh, individuals after salvation follow the Lord in that step of obedience of baptism. We want to see people discipled and growing to be more like the Lord. We want that to happen in our lives. And as we're serving the Lord together, God desires that there be a, a spirit of unity as we serve the Lord together. Look with me, if you would, in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 4. And uh, look with me, if you would, at verse number 3. Ephesians chapter 4. And look down at verse number 3 when you found Ephesians chapter number 4. I want you to notice a couple important things here from Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse number 3. It says this, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, excuse me, in the bond of peace. Now, there's a couple of things I want us to notice about that verse when we think of a spirit of unity in our church. First of all, let's look at the first word. The first word in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3 says, endeavoring. That word has the idea of Making an effort. We need to make an effort to have a spirit of unity in our church. So as we think of that, may we consider this. As we make an effort to have a spirit of unity in our church, then it's God's way of telling us we're responsible to be in unity as God's people. 
we're responsible, we ought to endeavor to make an effort. The responsibility is on us to be in unity as we serve the Lord together. So if there's trouble in our hearts that could stir, could potentially stir discord or, or have strife amongst God's people, we need to deal with it because it's our responsibility. We are to endeavor, we're to make an effort to make sure that we are keeping the unity. And so it's our responsibility that God has given to us. But then notice this. Look with me, if you would, back to the verse. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. Now, where, where, where does unity come from? It's brought about because of the Holy Spirit that lives within every one of us. Think about that. We all have, we all have some things in common, don't we? When we've trusted the Lord as our Savior, that salvation is something we have in common. We're saved, right? We're on our way to heaven. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And as a result of that, the Holy Spirit brings this unity that we have. And by the way, we all strive for the same goals, don't we? We're striving again to see people saved, to see people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. So there's a common thing that the Holy Spirit gives us that provides for us this unity that we have. And then notice the word there in the verse, endeavoring to keep the unity. The unity. Now, can we say this? Unity is opposite of discord and strife. If there's discord and strife, there's not unity. But if there's unity, there's an absence of discord and strife. God doesn't want there to be discord and strife in His church. Instead, He wants there to be unity. So let's not have strife. Let's not have discord. Let's endeavor... Let's make an effort. Let's realize the responsibility is on us to make sure there's unity because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And then I love the end of the verse. It says, in the bond of peace. Boy, you think about how that that brings, when we're in unity, it brings peace, doesn't it? We can have peace in the church services. We can have peace as we're serving the Lord together. There's not strife. There's not arguing. There's not discord one amongst another. And that's what God desires in His church. He desires unity. So take uh, your Bible with, you, with me, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians. One more verse we want to show you about unity. Philippians chapter 1. And look at verse number 27. I told you we'd come to that word striving. That word striving. We're striving together for the same thing, aren't we? Look at Philippians chapter 1. And uh, look at verse number uh, 27. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27. It says this. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, now, now notice this, that ye stand fast in how many spirit? One spirit, he says. You're standing fast in unity, one spirit together. And then notice what he says at the end of the verse. With how many mind? One mind, right? One spirit and one mind. We're in unity. There's one spirit and one mind together as we serve the Lord. And then he says, striving together. Again, we strive together with the same goal in mind, right? we got the same purpose behind why we do what we're doing for the cause of the Lord and for the work of the Lord. So striving together, notice this, for the faith of the gospel. The gospel message is why we strive together, why we desire to see unity. When folks uh, come into this church, it ought to be that they see a spirit of unity, right? We're serving the Lord together. Now, what are some things that we would be unified on? Well, we'd be unified, I hope, on what we believe, right? We'd be in unity on what we believe. We believe together in unity that Jesus died on the cross, don't we? Oh, we're thankful for that tonight, aren't we? 
that Jesus died on the cross. I think we would be in unity tonight together in what we believe in the fact that Jesus rose again. Jesus rose again. We're, 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 we're common. We have something in common with that, don't we? We believe that he died. We believe that he rose again. And then we also believe that Jesus has been exalted and he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God making intercession for us. The Bible says that he has gone to prepare a place and he is that, that mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And we have, we, have, we have a common spirit, one spirit and one, one mind about that, don't we? In what we believe. And then we also believe that he has given us a great commission, hasn't he? Oh, we find that in all of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We find in the book of Acts as well. He has given us a great commission. We believe that to be true. We believe it's the purpose of, of why we're here, to give out the gospel, give out the good news and the good message of the gospel so that folks can come to know Christ as Savior. And then we also believe that he is going to return. He is going to come again. We have a common unity, a, a, a unity. A, there's, there's a common spirit and mind, one with another, because of what we believe. And then the unity of our heart and our soul, our mind together, as the Bible says there in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 27, he says that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind. So a unity in spirit and in mind. Notice, back with me if you would, to Acts chapter number 4, and notice what happened as a result of this unity. The Bible tells us they began to share their possessions. You know, we, we, we come to a great day in our lives where we realize that what we have really doesn't belong to us anyway. God has given us everything that we have and He has just entrusted us to be wise stewards of it. Oh, happy day in our lives when we get to that place where we realize everything that God has given to me is a gift from Him. He's blessed me with that. And as a result of blessing me with that, he says it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We're to be faithful with what God has given to us. And they share, the Bible tells us they share their possessions. And so again, in our lives, as we make application for tonight, we make application for us, that we as wise stewards of all that God has given to us need to get to a place where we're willing to say, God, all that you've given belongs to me. Lord, just help me to be a wise steward of it. I want to be able to take the things that you have given to me with no selfishness, and again, in a spirit of unity and help those who may need help, desire to use what we have for the honor and the glory of the Lord. And then here's the ultimate result of this spirit of unity. As we have a spirit of unity, one with another, just like the early church, just like we notice as they're sharing their possessions, it gives a wonderful example or a wonderful illustration or a wonderful picture of the Christian love that we have one for another. When I'm able to have a spirit of unity with everyone that's in the church, we're able to say there's Christian love that we have one for another. That again, in our lives, there may be some things that we would say there are, are differences. We're not all the same. We don't all have the same personalities. We don't all have the same interest. But we have a, a, a great common thing, the gospel that brings us together, don't we? And we're able to show our Christian love one for another, a spirit of true Christian love as we live together in unity. 
Let's notice real quick what the Bible says about that. I'll turn to these verses real quick. If you want to, you can. But in John chapter 13 and verse number 35, the Bible says this. John chapter 13, verse 35, it says these words. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Now, I think we would be honest enough to say that when we're living in strife and discord, we don't, we're not showing love one towards another. But if we're living in unity, there's love that we have one for another, and those that are in the world that need to hear the gospel can see that Christian love that we have one for another, and then we show that love to the lost and dying world as well, don't we? Then the Bible says, and you don't have to take the time to turn there, I'll turn first to uh, uh, John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, if you want to, you can, but First John chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse number 14 in First John chapter 3. It says these words, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. You say, well, what, what, do you, what, what, what is the Bible trying to say there? Well, a good evidence of the fact that you've been saved is that you have a love for the brethren. And, and, and there can be a spirit of unity. My wife and I uh, have some friends that have just gone through a very, very, very difficult challenge in their church. And as a result of going through that challenge in their church, they've seen some strife. They've seen some discord. They even gave some examples of individuals who weren't really acting like the Christian that they said they were. God says He wants us to love the brethren and not to have discord, not to have strife one with another. The end of verse number 14 says this, He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. A good character trait of individuals that have come to trust Christ as their Savior is they have a love one for, the, one for another. So when we are living unified as Christians, we have to realize that our actions and our attitudes, they do not just affect ourselves, but they affect the other Christians that are around us. And they also affect the church as a whole, don't they? So we need to make sure in a spirit of unity that we keep our actions and we keep our attitudes the way that they should. So may unity help the work of the Lord and may we not get into a spirit of discord or unity that will hinder the work of the Lord. Unity helps the work of the Lord. Discord hinders the work of the Lord. May we have, as the early church had, the spirit of unity. But number two, I want you to notice they had the character trait or the trait of witnessing. Number one, let's always be a church that has a spirit of unity. But number two, let's always have the character trait of witnessing for Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 33, if you would. The very first part of the verse is all we'll look at there in Acts chapter 4, verse 33. It says, and with great power gave the apostles, now notice the next few words, witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. First character trait is the spirit of unity. The second character trait is the trait of witnessing. Now, in chapter 4, and I know I took the time to review this while we were starting the message tonight, but would you look back just a few verses in chapter number 4? Look with me, if you would, at verse number 24. Acts chapter 4, look up, up with me, if you would, from where we're at there in Acts chapter 4, up to verse number 24. And notice what it says. I want you to notice something with two verses here that are in Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 24. It says, and when they heard that. Now what had they heard? Remember back to what we had reviewed. They had heard that the lame man was healed. Then they heard that there was a gathering at Solomon's porch and that Peter and John began to preach. And then they were 
arrested and spent a night in jail and then they had to stand before the Sanhedrin and they were released and threatened. So they heard all of this and the Bible says in verse number 24, notice this, that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath, hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Here's what I want us to notice about verse number 24, that persecution in the early church drove them to their knees. Notice they're going through persecution and the times of persecution drove them to their knees. But then would you notice verse number 21 if you would. I'm sorry, verse number 31. I apologize. Verse number 31. Remember after they had prayed, God gave an immediate answer. And I want us to put these two verses together and I want us to notice something about their witnessing. Here's what it says, verse, 30, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now notice the end of the verse. They spake the word of God with boldness. Now go to verse number 33 where we're at right now. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. All right, so let's put those two verses together. Persecution drove them to their knees but then the Holy Spirit drove them to their feet to boldly witness for the Lord. And notice how they witnessed. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 33. It says, and with great power. Number one, they witnessed with great power. Now, remember, back up in verse number 31, the Bible tells us they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, we were talking uh, last time we were here, again, several weeks ago now on Sunday night, when we were talking about how the filling of the Holy Spirit is to be a continuous thing in our life. There are several ministries of the Holy Spirit that really are, 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 would be very evident in the life of a Christian. When He indwells us, that takes place at the moment of salvation, and that's a one-time thing. But... Being filled with the Holy Spirit of God is a continuous thing. We're continually to be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, the thought in those words in, in, in the book of Ephesians, when, when we read just with the verse that we just read, is the idea of a continuous action. We're to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Persecution drives them to their knees, but then the Holy Spirit drives them to their feet so that they would boldly be a witness for the Lord. And the Bible tells us He empowered them. He gave them power to be a witness for Christ. But then notice what they witness of. This is what's wonderful. Notice what their message is about. Look at verse 33 again. And with great power, so God's given them power to do it. And by the way, can I say this as a thought before I read on? We need God's power to witness today as well. One of the things that we do when we go out and we witness for, for the Lord certainly ought to be a time where you're praying and asking the Lord, Lord, prepare me. Get me ready. Lord, may I have your power to boldly witness for the Lord. Now, we had opportunities yesterday to witness to foes. Now, not everybody wants to hear it. I'll say that. Not everybody wants to hear it. Some will reject. Some want to, go, some, some want to, uh, some want to believe their own thing and really don't even want to talk to you much about it. I had an opportunity just yesterday to, uh, to uh, witness to one of our, 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 our bus riders' uh, fathers. And, and just the opportunity the Lord gives us to be a witness. But it's not about our own power. It's not about, our, uh, about trying to accomplish that on our own. We need God's power to be a witness for Him. And so may we always be mindful of that when we're witnessing for the Lord. We need His power. We need His boldness to speak. 
Did you notice sometimes on our own we can just be a little hesitant? We might not want to take that opportunity the Lord gives us to present the gospel to somebody. But with the Holy Spirit's power, we, we, we can accomplish great things, can't we? And so think about the, the, the power that we need. But then go on and notice the message. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So what was their message all about? Well, it was about the gospel, wasn't it? So here they are in a, again, a character trait of witnessing. They're witnessing with great power. And they're witnessing of the, with the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, for the Christian today, again, one of the things that keeps us in unity is what we believe. And we believe that we serve a risen Savior, don't we? And you ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. So for a child of God, that is an undeniable fact, isn't it? That Jesus rose again. And He is living today. You'll go to that tomb and you will not find Jesus there. That tomb is empty and we rejoice in that, don't we? So as a Christian, what does our witness then point to? With God's power, we witness for the Lord. But what does our witness point to? It points to a cross and an empty tomb, doesn't it? Jesus died on that cross. He shed His blood. And we know, obviously, there's power in the blood that Jesus shed for us. So our gospel witness today, again, is this evident in our lives tonight? We want, we want the character traits. We want to strive to have the character traits of the early church. Are we witnessing for the Lord? Is He giving us power as we witness? Are we witnessing with that right message of the cross and the empty tomb? We have a message to give out today, don't we? That message of the gospel. But then notice the third trait, if you would, back to Acts chapter number 4. Look at the end of verse 33. The end of verse 33. So the first trait was unity. Let's strive to be in unity. The second character trait, the trait of witnessing. Let's strive to witness. Then number 3, would you look at the end of verse number 33? And great grace was upon them all. The trait of grace the trait of grace. Now let's talk just for a moment about this. Look at the end of verse number 33. And great grace was upon them all. How do we define grace? I know we can give different definitions of it, really probably all pointing to the same thought. But really the definition of, of, of grace really is undeserved favor. That God gave favor to us that we did not deserve I know there's an, a, there's, an, there's an acrostic for that word sometimes individuals use. Uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. He, he, he gave us undeserved favor when He was willing to die on the cross for us. We as sinners were able to have the righteousness of God so we could stand before Him justified. I want you to notice two things when it comes to this thought of grace in the lives of those that were in the early church, number one, they possessed God's grace. They possessed God's grace. Think about your life tonight. If you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for by grace are you saved through faith. Now think about that definition, undeserved favor. We possess God's favor in our lives tonight. We said it so well when we went around the room and we said we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? And some of you got up or some of you spoke up tonight and you said, hey, I have a testimony. And I'd say that probably everybody tonight 
could have had something they, they said. I understand that we'll not all say something tonight, but we probably could go around the room and every one of us could give a testimony of something that the Lord's doing in our lives because of His favor. We possess God's grace tonight, don't we? And He was showing His favor in their lives. They possessed God's favor. You say, well, how, how, how do we recognize that in the early church? Well, think about how that His favor was upon their preaching. Remember what we said about Acts chapter 2? There were 3,000 that got saved. You remember Brother Drew, when he was here, he brought up that. He said, hey, 3,000 people getting saved, that would be a memorable service, wouldn't it? We would say, man, that, that would be salvation that would be just multiplied in such an amazing way. Wow, what a service that would be. And then again, chapters later where we see 5,000 come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. God is showing His favor on their preaching. So they possessed the favor of God. And can I say this in our lives, just as much as we need God's uh, power in our lives, we need God's favor in our lives as well. That we be able to say God's grace is upon us and His favor is upon us as we serve Him. So number one, they possessed God's grace. But number two, I want you to notice they displayed God's grace as well. So not only did they possess it, but they wanted others to see God's favor as well. I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 2. Just a couple chapters back. Look at Acts chapter 2, and notice what the Bible says in verse number 47. I want you to notice something unique about this verse here. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47. I know this is the chapter we've already touched on. But we said they possessed God's favor, but they also displayed God's favor. They didn't just possess it for themselves. They wanted others to see it. They wanted others to recognize it. They wanted others to notice it. And notice what the Bible says in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Here's how they displayed God's favor. Here's how they displayed God's grace. Number one, they acknowledged God's favor in their lives. And they appreciated His favor as well. Notice what it says at the beginning of verse number 47. It says, praising God. God, your favor is upon us and we praise you for that. We acknowledge the fact that you are a God who is showing us favor. And we want others to see the grace of God from our lives and be able to present God's grace to them as well. May we be a church that is, has the character trait of God's grace in our lives. And then notice, if you would, the fourth character trait tonight that we see from Acts chapter number 4. And we're going to finish this chapter real quick by reading verse 34 down to verse number 37. I want you to notice the last character trait tonight. We talked about the character trait of unity. And then we talked about the trait of witnessing, the trait of grace. But then lastly, the trait of sacrifice. The trait of sacrifice. Notice what the Bible says happens in the early church. Look at verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. So they sell their possessions. They bring those, uh, the, 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 the money that they gain from that and they lay it at the apostles' feet. You distribute it as the needs of the church are presented. And look at verse 35. And they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, we recognize that name, of course, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. 
a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, the Bible says, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. The trait of sacrifice. I want you to notice a few things about their giving tonight. And we'll finish with these tonight. I hope it'll be a help to you tonight as we think about their giving, their sacrificial giving, to sell what they had, to bring the money, to lay it at the apostles' feet so that distribution could be made. Some thoughts about their giving tonight. Number one, their giving demonstrated love. Their giving demonstrated love. When we give, the Bible clearly gives us the picture of the demonstration of our love. They desired to meet the need just as their need had been met. If you're saved tonight, your need has been met. And we have far, far above that spiritual need that has been met. God meets our physical needs as well, doesn't He? But if you are saved tonight, you have a need that has been met. And just as their need had been met through Jesus, they wanted others to have their needs met as well. Remember what I said, our giving demonstrates our love. We often say this, but it's true of love. Love is an action word, isn't it? How did Jesus demonstrate His love? God so loved the world that He gave. He demonstrated His love not just in saying that He loved us, but by giving His Son for us to die on the cross. We had a need that had to be met. And God in His love demonstrated His love for us by meeting that need and giving His Son to be our Savior. So they desired to meet the need because their need had been met. They desired to show love because Jesus had shown them love by what He had done for them on the cross. Their giving demonstrated love. But then number two, I want you to notice this. Their giving was not compelled. Their giving was not compelled. It was by choice. They didn't have to do it. Matter of fact, we don't notice anywhere in this passage of Scripture that we just read that somebody was forced to do this. Their giving was not compelled. But instead, they saw the need and they realized they could meet the need and so they did something about it. They were willing to sacrificially, willingly give so that needs could be met. The same way we give to the Lord, right? Our giving demonstrates our love. Our, our, our giving should not be something that is compelled. It's not something that we're forcing somebody to do. But we have a choice as to whether we want to willingly give to the Lord. Do it because of a love that we have for Him and a love that we have for souls and because He has already met our need. So we see the need and then we realize we can meet the need and we do something about it. There's a, 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 a picture frame up at our house and my wife can interchange the words on that little picture frame and I came home from work a couple weeks ago and she had the words on there, See the need and take the lead. Hey, we see a need and we're willing to say, hey, I'll be the one that takes the lead. I'll be the one that gets it done for the honor and the glory of the Lord. Their giving was not forced, but they willingly did it. And then notice their giving was an expression of God's grace. Think about how he had shown favor to them already. 
And as a result of that, they were to show favor and to be a blessing to others that had needs. Look with me, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, and we'll close with this last verse this evening. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and look, if you would, at verse number 7. Now, a lot of times we will go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when we are talking about faith-promised giving, or by faith, willingly saying to the Lord, I'll give to meet the need of missionaries that are outside of my church serving the Lord in my country or around the world, and I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll, I'll try to have a part in giving to that uh, as, you, as, as we by faith uh, trust God to be able to allow us to continue to give that for the honor and the glory of the Lord. So many times we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and we'll talk about that. And the Bible defines in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it defines giving as a grace. Giving is a grace. Matter of fact, sometimes we'll even refer to it as, as, as grace giving. Notice how he describes that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 7. He says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us. All right, so he said, you're abounding in these things. He said, now there's one more thing I want to encourage you to abound in. And look at the end of verse number 7. See that ye abound in this grace also. What grace? Well, the grace of giving. Being willing to give so that a need could be met. Notice the spirit or the character trait of sacrifice. We're willing to sacrifice so that needs could be met. So how do we sacrificially give to the Lord today? What would that look like in the, in the, in the, as, as we see it in the early church? But what would that look like at Victory Baptist Church today? Well, we give of our time for the Lord, don't we? And we give of our time for the Lord because we love Him, right? God doesn't make us do that, but we're willing to say, God, I'll give of my time to you. I think about those bus workers that got up on that bus early this morning, giving their time to the Lord. A Sunday school teacher who throughout the course of the week worked to prepare a lesson so that they could stand in front of a Sunday school class today and be able to present the Word of God, to give of their time for the Lord to demonstrate their love willingly. To do that. God has given me grace. God has given me favor. And I want to extend that grace to somebody else by giving of my time. And then think about this. We give of our talents as well, don't we? Every one of us have a spiritual gift or maybe perhaps several spiritual gifts. After we've trusted Christ as our Savior that we can use for the honor and the glory of the Lord. I think we clearly see that in the New Testament or Bible, in the book of Corinthians, the book of Romans as well. So we have spiritual gifts that God wants us to use. We take those talents and we use them for the honor. We give them to God and use them for the honor and the glory of the Lord. Why? Because we love Him. He doesn't make us do it, but we get to serve Him, right? It's a privilege to serve Him. And He's shown me grace, so I want to extend that grace and that favor to somebody else. So we give of our talents. And then think about this. We also give of our treasure, don't we? We're going we're gonna to take of our, of, our, of our finances and give to the Lord. Think about all that He's blessed us with. So we have an opportunity to give financially to be able to meet needs. Why? Because we love the Lord. We want to see the gospel spread. We want to see God do great and mighty things. And we realize that uh, because that, that's, that's taking place, uh, the work of the Lord requires 
the finances of God's people. We come together and we get that work done, don't we? So we're giving. Why? To demonstrate our love. God doesn't make us give. Nobody's going to force you to. But God wants us to, doesn't He? To show that we love Him. To show that we're willing to sacrifice. Can I say this? A good character trait of a great church tonight is sacrifice. A great church will be characterized by sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice for the Lord? Are you willing to sacrifice again of your time and your talent and your treasure for the Lord? So I ask you with these four things that we've addressed tonight, would you consider them in your heart personally tonight, in our families tonight? Let's consider them as our, as our church as a whole. And then think about the early church and how that God used that early church in such a great and a mighty way for the cause of Christ, for the honor and glory of the Lord. So are we in unity tonight? Is there a trait of unity? Or is there strife and discord? Let's, 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 let's have that, that trait of unity. Is there a trait of witnessing tonight? I think again, we've been able to give testimony of how we've been able to see God's blessings in that because we've been faithful to do what the Lord would have for us to do. And I truly believe He rewards that faithfulness. We're able to see some souls saved at the revival, able to see some visitors come to the church and hear the gospel. Are we faithful in our witness for the Lord? And then are we faithful when it comes to the, the trait of grace tonight? And by the way, individuals in our lives are going to need to see grace at times. Maybe perhaps somebody that you would say is not living the way perhaps that they ought to be living as a Christian. Well, let's just show grace. God showed us grace. I, I, I don't know that God expects a, an individual to stay in a spot where they're far, far away from the Lord forever, but certainly to be able to say that we can show some grace and in love be able to show the love and kindness of our Savior to others. So how's our spirit of grace tonight? And then do we have a spirit of sacrifice individually, personally, and in our families and in our church as well? Are we sacrificing of our time and our talent, our treasure to get the work of the Lord done? Maybe perhaps God's spoken to your heart in some way tonight. We do want to have a moment of invitation. And if God's speaking to you in some way tonight, if you're able to, maybe perhaps God would even uh, draw you to come and, and, and kneel at the altar for a moment. And uh, before we go into the busyness of this week, that we just pray and we talk to the Lord tonight and ask the Lord to give us these traits. Father, thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to preach through the first four chapters here. And Lord, the encouragements that you have given to us.